0: Welcome to the CanMed Coffee Talk Podcast, where we talk with the leading minds in cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, and safety testing. I am your host, Ben Amaralt. I'm the marketing manager at Medicinal Genomics and proud member of the team that puts on the CanMed Conference. A few important updates off the top to tell you all about. First, the early bird deadline for the CanMed 23 Innovation and Investment Summit is this Friday, January 20th. Don't miss this opportunity to save hundreds on all of our ticket packages, which include access to executive level cuisine for all meals during the conference, our medical practicum and immersive professional development workshops, oral and poster presentations, expanded exhibit hall and networking events. And if you choose one of our lodging packages, you will also get access to the world-class accommodations at the Marriott Marco Island Beach Resort, including golf, tennis, bowling, beach, spa, and so much more. If you have already received your invitation, use the link in the email that you received to register for CanMed 23 today. And if you haven't gotten an invitation yet, head over to canmedevents.com now to request one. While you're at canmedevents.com, check out our preliminary speaker list. You will see some familiar faces like Deddy Miri, Bonnie Goldstein, and Ethan Russo, but you will also see some new faces, who we got to know through our abstract submission process, like Soren Safi, Akeem Gardner, and our guest today, Lauren Sands. More on her in just a second. We are continuing to add names to the page regularly, so be sure to check in, and be sure to sign up for email alerts so you receive notifications. Lastly, we have added details about the laboratory and capital markets workshops that will be taking place on the first day of the summit May 15th. Be sure to check out those details and be sure to plan to join us at the workshops. This episode's guest is Lauren Sands. Lauren is a senior laboratory technician at SafeTiva Labs in Westfield, Massachusetts. She works in both the biological and chemical side of operations, utilizing PCR and chromatography to test cannabis products. Lauren received her MS in plant science with a focus in cannabis molecular biology at the University of Connecticut, where she focused on how hormones affect cannabinoid production. During our conversation, we discuss the process for how cannabis plants create cannabinoids, what role hormones play in the cannabinoid synthase process, whether a hormone treatment could increase cannabinoid levels, the ethics around treating plants with exogenous hormones and how understanding hormones can help guide breeders to create new cannabis varieties. Before we get to my conversation with Lauren, I'd like to thank this episode's sponsor Farmer Freeman. Farmer Freeman is a plant genetic testing laboratory serving home growers and commercial cultivators. Farmer Freeman offers plant sex testing, hop latent viroid testing, and more to customers around the world. Founded in 2015 in Washington, D.C., Farmer Freeman is one of the oldest and most trusted laboratories in the cannabis industry. Use Farmer Freeman's genetic testing services to save time, money, and resources in your grow. Learn more at farmerfreeman.com. Okay, without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Lauren Sands. Good morning, Lauren. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast.
1: Good morning, Ben. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Of course. Yeah, I'm actually really excited to talk with you today because you're going to be presenting some pretty important findings at CAMBID 23 this May that could help growers increase cannabinoid synthase in their plants. But first, I think to really understand the work that you've done and what this all means, we should really lay some groundwork for those who maybe aren't familiar with how cannabis plants produce cannabinoids. So I was wondering if to start, could you give us a bit of a layman's explanation of how that process works?
1: Absolutely, so cannabinoids are produced in the trichomes on the plants and trichomes are small hairs on the epidermis of the plant. And so cannabis plants make six different types of trichomes but only three of these are what we're really interested in. These three produce resin, and so these three are called capitate stalked, capitate sessile, and bulbous trichomes. But we're, we're really interested in the capitate stock trichomes. Those are like the mushroom-looking ones that really, that's what we're looking for in the plant. That's what's going to give us the most cannabinoids, the most rich resin um, for cultivators, growers, anybody using a cannabis plant. So as the female plant develops after switching into the 12-12 vegetative phase, more trichomes are produced, and within them, the cannabinoids and terpenes are produced alongside. So these trichomes are like factories for cannabinoids and terpenes. And during flowering, here's where we get a little scientific. Um, there right. are two active enzymatic pathways working together at the base of this head of the glandular trichome. So remember, it looks like a mushroom. And so at the top, we have the head of the mushroom. It looks a little bulb. So in the base of this trichome head, there's a rosette of cells and they contain little organelles. And so in these rosette cells, the organelles, these pathways are producing the precursors that are needed for downstream cannabinoid production to in the end make THCA, CBDa. And so in these small organelles in the base of the trichome head, there's a precursor called olivetolic acid and so this olivetolic acid is converted to CBGA, cannabiger- cannabigerolic acid. And so CBGA, this is a cannabinoid in and of itself, but it's also a precursor for many cannabinoids. And so um, you can use it as a medicinal benefit, but also you can the plant uses it to produce uh, THCA and CBDA. So this process of converting all of olivitolic acid to CBGA is completed by an enzyme. So this enzyme is what I studied for my whole two years of my master's, and it's called transferase. And so these are just little enzymes um, in the trichomes, but there's 10 of them in the cannabis plant. And so there's really two that um, the industry is focusing on. It's just one in four, prenyl transferase one and prenyl transferase four. So this enzyme causes the reaction between the olivetolic acid I mentioned and another substrate, another gene called GPPS. And so this other GPPS um, substrate is actually gears in two directions. So one direction, it actually makes terpenes. And then in the other direction, it's used in this reaction to basically combine with all of olivatoic acid, and that produces CBGA. And so yeah. now we have CBGA in this rosette in the head of the trichome. So after it's produced, after this prenatal transferase enzyme finishes its reaction, um, it's basically transported into the top of the head of the trichome now. So there's a base, and then there's the top. And so now it's exported, and CBGA is the precursor to our endpoint cannabinoids. And so with the help of certain enzymes, which you've probably heard about, such as THCA synthase, CBDA synthase, these enzymes are taking CBGA and converting them to what we want, THCA, CBDA. And likewise with other cannabinoids, such as CBC, CBN, Um, And then there's other pathways that are very, very similar, like for THCV, but it's just a few different um, genes and enzymes working there. Mm -hmm. So um, these enzymes produce the final acidic forms of cannabinoids, which are ready to be used um, by individuals or used by the plant for a variety of reasons. And so to tie it all back to like, why is the cannabis plant making cannabinoids? We understand all the how. But um, these cannabinoids are known to actually be toxic to the cell and in the, in the trichome head. So a byproduct of making these cannabinoids is hydrogen peroxide. And so they don't want it in the base of the cell. It's going to kill the cell. So they want to export it to the, to the oh. extracellular reservoir to get it away from the plant. And so um, the, all the resin containing the cannabinoids and terpenes are in the top of the trichome head. And so whenever they break open, um, one, you smell the terpenes, you smell the plant, but also it's a sticky resin that um, can be used to trap insects. And also the terpenes have antifungal and antibacterial properties. So basically it's like a little defense bulb. So if it it opens, it can trap insects, it can protect the plant, it can uh, collect the pollen um and also um yeah honestly that's the why and how of cannabinoid production in the plant the intricate pathways lead to a defense against herbivory as well as a treat for us humans
0: wow <laughs> no that's that's awesome that was a great explanation <laughs> well, thank you. um so a <laughs> lot going there's a lot going on here mm-hmm. um So I jotted down a few notes when you were talking here. And so do I understand this correct? Where it's the same gene that creates CBGA also creates trichomes?
1: Um, It doesn't actually create trichomes. So the trichomes just grow. Oh, terpenes. Sorry, sorry, I wrote down the wrong thing. (laughs) No, you're fine. Um, So there's the enzyme that actually produces CBGA doesn't produce um, terpenes, but the The enzyme is using a substrate that it's taking a substrate from this GPPS, but then the GPPS mm. enzyme is the beginning of the terpene production. It's basically it's basically what CBGA is to THCA. GPPS is to terpenes, so it's just Got a precursor. It. So but like it's really cool you're seeing the two pathways combine and then kind of go off into terpenes or cannabinoids.
0: Right. And it's this whole process of, you know, this this whole pathway of creating cannabinoids. That's really kind of the basis of your work here and kind of the um, the foundation, again, for your findings. So uh, let's stop beating around the bush now that we've laid some groundwork. So tell us a bit about, you know, what's the what's the main takeaway um, of your research here and why we should be excited about it?
1: So there's so many different aspects to my research. Um, there's a lot of aspects before I entered the lab. The actual, actually, the lab is the Berkowitz Lab at UConn. I want to uh, give a call out to them. So we did all this research together. Um, we started a while ago basically figuring out which genes produce which cannabinoids, which ones we should be looking at. Um, we'd have to go through all of my research to get to the end of why it's really important, but really I'm helping scientists understand why the plant is making cannabinoids as we'll get into a bit later, which hormones in the plant are decide, like basically telling the plant to make cannabinoids. And then also the growers are beginning to understand which genes we want to look at, which will help us determine which cannabinoids are going to be produced. Um, when they're going to be produced, whether we're going to increase or decrease it. Um, a big thing is that we're figuring out which genes can uh, downstream make THCA. If we have hemp growers, we want to reduce the amount of THC produced in the plants. They'll know what to do with those genes if they want to like reduce the amount of hormones going in. Eventually down the road, people will get to like gene editing. And I know GMO in cannabis plants is a big controversy, but it is possible, it will be possible eventually to genetically modify our plants and potentially like knock out genes so they they don't produce THC. So our lab is really focusing on why the plant makes THC and CBD, yeah.
0: Yeah. And so in reading your abstract in, in a bit of the paper in, in in preparation for this and just to learn more about what's going to be presented at CAMBED23, my main takeaway was it seems like your team has identified a potential hormone treatment that can increase cannabinoid synthase. Is that correct?
1: We Yes. Um, we've looked at a bunch of different hormones. Um, the main hormone i looked at during my research was is salicylic acid which is a plant defense hormone so i went through and um, i looked at a variety of different things throughout the throughout the plant so i looked at the promoter of this prenatal transferase 4 enzyme that i mentioned and so if you don't know what a promoter is it's this stretch of dna right before a gene which determines if the gene is gonna be activated or repressed or if nothing's gonna happen. So all of our genes in our bodies and the plants are just hanging out. Something needs to tell them to turn on or like work less. And so I looked at the promoters of these enzymes and I figured out there are certain elements within this promoter that are responsive to hormones. So basically if hormones are released, they'll activate certain pathways to then trigger a gene to turn on. And so I found out that this um, gene, this enzyme that produces CBGA, I found out that it's quite responsive to salicylic acid treatment. And um, so I did two studies. One, I figured out that the promoter can be activated at high levels following treatment from salicylic acid. And I also did full plant studies. So the promoter studies were just little gene cloning, tiny studies. But the plant studies were full flowering plants, um, a wife hemp cultivar. And so I also gave the plants a root drench of containing salicylic acid. And so in both cases, we saw the promoters activated, which will downstream produce more CBGA and more THCA. And then also in the actual plants, we saw that um, through qPCR and examining messenger RNA expression, we saw that a lot of the genes in the cannabinoid synthesis pathway were activated at larger levels than without the treatment. So we saw like... um, the prenotransferase genes were activated at much higher levels after being treated with salicylic acid. We saw that um, the CBDA and THCA synthase genes were activated large levels. So really we're seeing that this hormone can activate these cannabinoid synthesis genes at larger levels than normal. So um, we've also seen increased cannabinoid contents in the plants. Um, a lot of my research goes into why the genes are activated, not so much can I get more THC out of the plant, um, okay. I'm, yeah, I really want to know like why the plant's doing what it's doing, not how can I get the most THC out of the plant, but I know that's what the growers want.
0: Right. Yeah. So, so basically kind of introducing more of this hormone is like a signal to the plant to create more CBGA, which then eventually is going to make it downstream to, to turn into potentially more cannabinoids, correct?
1: Yep. Yep. Um, Excellent. Excellent. So, yeah. So that that can be the case with a lot of hormones. Um, I also saw um, a large response from one hormone co- called cytokinin, which some growers can give to their plants in a form called zeatin, basically just improves growth. So that can be the case for that as well. Basically, anything that's going to activate this promoter is a really good um, source to potentially improve your plants. Um, I actually one of the coming points of my research was from a cannabis forum where I just looked up growers and they're like yeah I've given aspirin to my plants and the active ingredient in aspirin is salicylic acid and so huh. they're basic people have been doing this already so they're actually giving their plants little tablets of aspirin like dissolving it giving it to the roots and seeing improved plants so this has already been done in like people's basements and closets right. <laughs> but we just we're just making the research and publishing it so that it's actually known throughout the world um yeah
0: yeah and that's it's, it's funny that's such a common thing that we find like when I'm, when I'm talking to researchers um is that they're sort of they're explaining the why for some of these little tricks or treatments that you know these legacy growers who have been doing it for so long May have already figured it out, but maybe didn't always understand what's what's going on inside the mm-hmm. plant to make that work. And so it's really cool to see how you know academia or more you know traditional science is coming along and you know first of all confirming what what these folks have been seeing anecdotally right. and then actually explaining what's going on. Yeah. So I think that's a that's you know a really important thing that we're seeing in the industry and it's a it's a great thing that um I'm glad that CanMed can be a part of that we can Absolutely. sort of be pushing this forward. Yeah. So I guess I do want to come back to this idea of like okay is there potentially a hormone treatment that we might be able to figure out that you know growers can use to increase their cannabinoid production? Are we there yet or are we still in the early stages?
1: So I'd say We're still in the early stages because um, you wouldn't really think it, but actually giving your plants hormones can be like considered like non-organic, excuse me, non-organic, like unethical. And because you're changing the natural composition of the plant, like a lot of these growers, they've gotten to where they are because they care for the plant they want it to do its own thing they just want to encourage it so giving it external fact like exogenous hormones giving changing its natural composition is a big maybe no-no from some people I know in like the big industries people would see that and be like oh yes let's give all the plants salicylic acid another hormone and just like pump the plant as much as we can but then you can like kind of relate that to Say like the chicken industry, where they're pumping the chickens full. They want to get as much out of the product, and they don't care about the 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 organisms anymore. And so, I think we are getting to the point where we could give the plants hormones, but it has to be done in a really smart way. Um, you can do a mix of hormones. My old my um, coworker at UConn was giving the plants a mix of different hormones and seeing the outcome of that, and that was actually a really good study so like he was mixing like cytokinin and salicylic acid and methyl jasmine and seeing improved um plants and cannabinoid content so i think i think in the next few years we're getting out these studies um some companies are actually patenting these uh hormone treatments i know ct pharma in connecticut patented our labs methyl jasmine application to the plants because they saw increased uh, growth and everything so i think if it's done in an ethical way people care about their plants um they don't give it too much of the constant like give it the right concentrations of the hormones because too much will definitely create toxic effects um and of course not too little because then you won't see Mm -hmm. anything but yeah i think it's a good uh good idea moving forward especially like not going straight to like these uh like really non-organic methods of helping the plants like because the plants already have the hormones going throughout them so right like it's in my mind i think it's okay i think it's totally fine to like increase it a little bit but like um as i was thinking before like salicylic acid is produced as a defense mechanism in the plant So you don't want to, like, pose a threat to the plant so that just so it produces more salicylic acid to produce more cannabinoids, like, you have to do it in the right way of giving it the salicylic acid, not scaring the plant, you know? Right. Yeah.
0: There's there's a point of diminishing returns. Right. Where you're doing more harm than good.
1: Yeah, I think so. (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, that's interesting. I mean, and then, you know, I, I wonder and you could tell me if I'm on, off base here, like, would there be something like even further downstream, like instead of just like, giving the hormone straight to the plant? Is there something else that can be um, provided maybe like in terms forms of nutrients or whatever that will sort of naturally raise their um, levels of these of these hormones that would kind of more naturally um, create what you're what you're looking for?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's kind of already in the market. So, like, a lot of what these um, nutrients and like help grow, like, I'm not a grower, I'm a scientist. So, I'm not, I don't know all the like products and stuff. Um, But a lot of these nutrient products that they're giving the plants are actually going to increase hormones. So, like, a lot of Hmm. the like increased growth, um, external administering things to the plants will help increase auxin which is a growth hormone. So really in the end people have like they don't have these products and they're going to be like oh this directly increases this hormone. The like it's going to increase a bunch of hormones it it creates. I mean hormones work in an orchestra. They're all working together, some repress, some work together, some you know. So I think people are already working on that like giving plants products is going to change their hormone networks. It's going to increase, decrease it. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. But then kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, like with these findings, it's sort of just like another way that we could measure whether or not these products are working. Right. If we see an uptick of these certain hormones that we know that are going to help downstream to create more cannabinoids, be like, well, we might be onto something with this formulation here because we're seeing this uptick.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it all comes back to the beginning. Like everybody's working together in this. Um, I think hormones are a really good thing to look at for uh, these cannabis plants, Um, especially with how little knowledge is actually out there. Um, I think it's a really good start place to start Um, looking at these genes. Growers looking at them, like getting more in touch with their plant, understanding when hormones are produced during flowering, how to increase or decrease it based on their environment. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I'm thinking that this could be very useful information for, you know, nutrient developers mm-hmm. to, you know, as part of their R&D to be looking at whether the hormone levels are raised. So yeah. very yeah. cool. Um, I know one thing that we also kind of, when we were chatting over email before, before we were doing this, one thing that you mentioned too about these findings is, not only could it help, you know, figure out how to increase cannabinoid content, but maybe potentially decrease as well. I was wondering if you could kind of speak to that a bit.
1: Yeah, so um, there's a few points I'll make here. Um, kind of going back to the promoter talk, because that's what I studied for two years. Um, there's, so there's parts of the promoter that will activate the gene, there's parts of the promoters that will repress the gene. And so these hormones, they can, a lot of them will activate the gene, increase the transcription to make proteins, to make it usable, but some of them will repress it and not let the genes work. And so if you find out which hormones are gonna repress, say the THC synthase gene, the prenatal transferase, all these enzymes, then you can administer these hormones and see a reduction in cannabinoids. Um, And well, THC, if you're a hemp grower, um, maybe CB like maybe if you're trying to create a strain that just has one cannabinoid, like CBG dominant strains. Um, But also there's another part of my research that was really interesting. Um, in the promoter I was of this prenatal gene that make enzyme that makes CBG. I was actually able to mutate part of it, um, which then gets into the GMO stuff and I know sure. it's controversial, but um, so I actually mutated the part of it when we were doing like um, like Petri dish stuff. Uh, so I got rid of the responsive element to salicylic acid and then we saw no response to it. So if you can mutate these promoters and then put them back in the plant, which they're not able to do yet, they're working on actually um, like genetically modifying uh, the cannabis plants. Um, Whenever they're able to actually do that, you can take the gene, mutate it, put it back in, then it's no longer responsive to this uh, hormone. And then there's also other parts of the promoters that are responsive to other things like, these genes that'll bind and activate it called transcription factors. And so you can also mutate those areas and so they won't bind anymore. And so they won't activate the gene. So, um, all of these different methods you can come up with gene editing, uh, giving them different types of hormones. You can determine if the plant's going to make more or less THC. And as I said, this is really, um, making less THC is good for the hemp growers. Making more THC is great for these uh, medical marijuana cultivations. So there's a lot of different things we can do, um, and yeah, figuring out which enzymes work to make which cannabinoids is really important. So then that's just the baseline. You can go in so many different directions from that.
0: Right, and, you know, and I know we talked about you know gene editing and how that's you know controversial in a lot of ways too. But yeah. I think. Also, you know, some work that we're kind of doing on the medicinal genomic side with, you know, helping growers sequence their plants and maybe find, you know, interesting novel mutations and things like that. I think that, and you correct me if I'm wrong, if we understand which parts of the gene or which genes are implicated for for these things, we might be able to find naturally occurring mutations. Um, in some of these plants, and then, you know, to kind of use more traditional breeding or marker-assisted breeding to sort of get the end result that we're looking for.
1: Right. Yeah. I think developing the, like, the full understanding of all the gene networks and which genes do what is the best step to start with. And then, like, actually, I know there have been people breeding some plants to, like, get rid of a THCA synthase gene right. naturally. And so that's totally, that's like, a that's, I think that's one of the best ways to go about it. And I know the plants can still make some THCA, even if they don't have the THCA synthase gene, because the synthase genes are very similar. Um, so you wouldn't get rid of all the THCA. But in that case, like you're still working to get rid of some things that you don't want. You can add in different things. So I think breeding and like just understanding the plants is one of the best ways to go about all this cannabis science.
0: Excellent. All right, Lauren. So winding down here, um, I did want to give you an opportunity to uh, plug any social media or any, you know, websites or anything uh, that you're affiliated with or you're posting your work about um, or just any other resources that you know about that are sort of in a similar vein to this, that would be good for, for folks to read up on. Um, please let us know.
1: Yeah. So I, um... I just finished my masters at UConn and they have one of the best plant science programs ever. I had the best lab with Dr. Jerry Berkowitz and a few others. So I want to just say thank you to them and go check out our research. We've been coming up with a lot of new cannabis research. We have one right in the works. This paper actually it the preprint is posted. We are currently actually publishing it. So it should be out soon. Um, I just want to also shout out to my lab that I work at in Westfield, Massachusetts. Um, it's called Safe Labs. We're a startup. We've probably been open for like two months now. And we are one of the best teams I've ever met. Um, they, we do all sorts of testing. We do um really competitive turnaround times for anybody in the area that wants to test with us. We do pickups. Um, so yeah, safety Tiva Labs. check us out on Instagram, LinkedIn, online. Um, and yeah, that's about it. Thanks to my lab and UConn lab. And of course, thanks to my family and friends.
0: Yeah. Excellent. I will definitely put links to the, the social media and the websites in the show notes so people can find it quick. And yeah, I, um, I echo your sentiments about the work that's coming out of UConn. I um, think we've had a, a, a number of submissions from folks out of that lab, and yeah. uh, I, ex- <laughs> I expect that UConn's gonna be well represented at CAM Med 23, which we're really
1: Absolutely. excited about. Absolutely. Yes, me too.
0: So, all right. So, thanks again, Lauren, for doing this, and I look forward to seeing you out at Marco Island.
1: Thank you. You as well.
0: I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Lauren Sands. Check out the links in the show description to learn more about the topics we discussed. And Thanks again to this episode sponsor, Farmer Freeman. Our next episode drops February 1st. That's two weeks from today. In the meantime, head over to canmedevents.com now to check out our preliminary speaker list and details about our professional development workshops. While you're there, if you haven't received an invitation yet, you can request your invitation for the CanMed 23 Innovation and Investment Summit. We are really excited about this year's event and truly believe it has the power to transform our industry through collaboration and innovation. I sincerely hope to see you there. But if you can't make it in person to Marco Island, we do hope that you will continue to stay connected with us through the podcast and through our social media channels. You can find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search for Ed Events. All right, and that's it from us. Stay safe, stay healthy, and be sure to come back for the next Ed Coffee Talk.